Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me today, friends. This is our sixth and final episode in our examination of the book of Acts. And so let's jump right into it. Luke presented the ideal for the church in every age. Now, anytime we open up a book of the Bible, any book of the Bible, and we read it, we are in some way, to some extent, interpreting it. We are reading the words, reading the sentences and the paragraphs, and we are interpreting it. We are trying to discover its meaning, and we are trying to discover its significance. We all do this when we read, and there is a particular challenge that comes with reading any historical narrative, but particularly the book of Acts. When we read an Old Testament historical narrative, and we find something that makes us uncomfortable or confusing, we can kind of shrug it off and say, well, that's that's the Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant, that's then, this is now. But when we come to the book of Acts, we're living on this side of the cross. We're living on this side of the resurrection. We're living on on this side of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we're living in the same day on God's eschatological calendar as the early church. So when we read what the early church is doing and valuing, we can't just shrug it off and say, well, that's back then. This is now. We have to interpret this. And we have to be able to differentiate between something that is described versus something that is prescribed. When something is described in the Bible, it's just telling us what happened, good, bad, and ugly. But when something is prescribed in the Bible, this is something that we are supposed to be doing in our own life. For example, we read in the story of King David that he sleeps with another man's wife and then has that man murdered to cover it up. Now, the Bible describes it, but the Bible is certainly not prescribing this. To give another example, We know that Noah, after surviving the flood in the ark, he plants a vineyard, he harvests the grapes, he makes wine, and he gets blackout drunk. That's an ugly story, and it's described for us in the book of Genesis, but it's certainly not being prescribed. So when we read the book of Acts, should we read the stories, particularly about the early church in Acts, as examples for us to follow, or are these simply just accounts of what happened? And we're not going to dive into every single story, every single position on spiritual gifts and miracles, I do just want to point out this. If we see a repeated pattern, that might indicate that this is something that's being commanded for the church today. So in the book of Acts, Luke gives us three summary narratives that describe the practices of the early church. I want to read all three, and I want to ask the question, do we see a pattern that should be evident in our churches today? The first of these summary narratives occurs in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, And they, they being the early church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were taught and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, we get another summary narrative. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or fields or houses sold them 
and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And then one more, Acts chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, uh, I'm going to disappoint you right off the bat. I'm not going to dive into the idea of miracles. Uh, Are they still present and active amongst the church, or was this only in the time of the apostles? Uh, I'm not going to dive into that. Uh, I'm just going to say that there are a range of options that you could hold to and still be a faithful and biblical Christian. The command is to remember that each one of us is going to stand before God and give an account. And so it's not my job to judge you, and it's not your job to judge me. So if you are someone who believes that the miraculous gifts that we see here were only active and present during the time of the apostles, and that they ceased with the death of the apostles and the writing of the New Testament, then that is a biblically defensible position, and you should believe it if that's where the Spirit has led you, and you should not stand in judgment over your brothers and sisters who do not believe that. If you are a brother or sister in Christ and you believe that the gifts of the Spirit, all of them, including the miraculous, like healing, was not only present and active during the time of the apostles, but is something that God intends for all of his children to have, to enjoy, and to use for his glory, then you should hold that conviction, and you should hold it in humility and faith, and you should remember that it's not your job to judge your brothers and sisters who stand elsewhere on this. So I know that that's not really a position. I'm not taking a position on this. That's not the point of this particular podcast. I just want to say that. So what is the pattern that we see in all three of these summary narratives? First, this is a fellowship characterized by sharing goods. So I emphasize the word fellowship because you saw that over and over again, it says that they had all things in common and and all things were sharing together and they were of one heart and mind. They were united with one another. This, I think, has been one of the big themes of this first season of the Bible Lab, that over and over again, we see the value of unity, the crucial, essential nature of unity in the church. This is a fellowship and it's a fellowship characterized by sharing goods. So let's make sure that we notice this. Two marks of the early church is concern for the poor and proper stewardship of possessions. The unity of the church, which is a felt thing, was expressed and experienced tangibly through the sharing of goods. Now, what Luke is describing is not a mandatory sharing of all goods. In Acts chapter 5, we read about Ananias and Sapphira who, wanting to get credit for their generosity, like they, like they saw Barnabas get credit, they sell a field that belongs to them and they keep back some of the proceeds, but they bring the rest and they give it to the church and they pretend as if this was all they got from it. And Peter explicitly says to them, Ananias and Sapphira, that field belonged to you. And even after you sold it, the money belonged to you. Nobody was making you do this, but you have lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. So this is not a mandatory sharing of all goods. This is not a biblical endorsement of socialism or communism. That's not what this is at all. Don't ever let anybody tell you this. 
This is a place where unity and love compelled sacrificial giving. They wanted to give. They were clamoring for an opportunity to meet the needs because they loved the brothers and sisters in Christ as they loved themselves. Nobody could stand the thought of having too much when others in their fellowship didn't have enough. You could not stand to have too much when others in your fellowship didn't have enough. So this is a fellowship characterized by sharing goods. And I think I'm on solid footing by saying that should be something that characterizes our fellowships as well. The second thing we see is a fellowship characterized by witnessing. Two things central to the early church, sacrificial sharing that we just spoke about, but also bold proclamation. They were declaring and displaying the gospel. Christians should be a people so overwhelmed with joy at what God has done for us that we can't imagine keeping silent. And I say this to my shame, when is the last time that I, when is the last time that you were so excited about God that we just had to tell someone? When is the last time that we shared the gospel with a lost person? I pray for myself and for you that God would give us a deep, passionate desire to just talk about Jesus because he is wonderful. He is what we need. He's what we were made for. And I pray that we would believe that and that we would proclaim that. So may our fellowships, wherever they are, may they be characterized by sacrificial sharing of goods out of an overflow of faith in God that he will meet our every need and an overflow of love for our brothers and sisters. And may our fellowship be characterized by witnessing, not under compulsion, but because we're so excited about Jesus that we want all the world to hear. So friends, we're going to record and release one more episode, uh, just some concluding thoughts on this first season, and then we are going to take a roughly two-month hiatus through the holidays here in America, through Thanksgiving and Christmas. And the plan, Lord willing, is to begin an examination of the Old Testament in January of 2023. But until then, my friends, take up a read. God bless.